aka Harry Potter. As you can hear, I'm definitely a little under the weather, but I was just trying to get you guys a pod. If my voice was working the way it was supposed to, I would have been gave you guys a first round pod and the pod on the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, but uh, Allie is actually going to join me for the back end of this podcast. And we're going to talk about the Basketball Hall of Fame as well as... I'll leave that as a surprise for you guys. We're going to talk about one other subject that might not like get all my sports fans riled up, but it's, it's worth mentioning. <clears throat> With that being said, let's go through some of the stuff that happened in the first round. First of all, Dylan Brooks, you can't talk greasy like that and then get cooked. Like, you want to poke the bear, then they turn LeBron into mystical, talking about if you see me in the woods fighting a grizzly bear, help the bear. But this is what, Dylan Brooks, this is on you. You were talking greasy, and LeBron, AD, Reeves, and them boys came in, met you where you were at. And they got y'all out of here. Y'all had home court and they packed you up on your shit. That's crazy. And that's going to set up Golden State versus the Lakers, but we'll get back to that. Speaking of Golden State, they knocked out the Kings on Sacramento's home court in seven. Steph Curry had a 50 ball in game seven versus the Kings. Like, 50. He shot 38 times. He was 7 of 18 from deep. <coughs> he was a plus 25. Everybody on the Warriors was damn near a plus 25 except Klay Thompson. He was a plus 30. But before we like move on from the Kings, they got to the postseason for the first time in almost two decades. De'Aaron Fox really showed out, um, as did Malik Monk. Unfortunately, DeMontis Sabonis did not. He he got chumped pretty much from the onset of the series. Um, physically, mentally, emotionally, they stepped on his chest. They, they were guarding him how you would guard the dude that sucks at pickup. Like, uh, like the old heads used to call it a self-check. Um, the young kids be like, oh, he's with us. That's how they were guarding all-star DeMontis Sabonis. He'd get the ball, and they they do the hand wave, or I'm not I'm not playing like turn face the basket and shoot, bro. Like they gotta feel your presence, and for seven straight games he didn't do that. And I don't care what the numbers say because I watched the actual basketball. So the numbers I haven't looked at the numbers, but I watched the basketball and I know he wasn't getting it done. Um. He had 22, 8, and 7 in game 7, which was probably his best game of the series. But, like, overall, he didn't have an impact is what I should say. Because even if the numbers was out there, you didn't feel Sabonis. Like, when Malik Monk entered the game, you felt him. He's 6'3", blocking shots, dancing dudes. Like, you felt his presence. Even when Trey Lyles came in, you felt his presence. Sabonis didn't bring that. And that's bad news from one of your all-stars. Uh, what else we got? 
Yo, Kawhi just doesn't like basketball. I don't care. Y'all can't tell me any different. They they sat him and Paul George 675 games over the course of the last two years, it feels like, for them to never be healthy in the playoffs. Kawhi looked like the best player in a series that featured Kevin Durant in games one and two, and then just decided, yo, I'm cool on this hoop shit. I'm, I'm, I'm good for the summer. I'll, I'll catch y'all in training camp. But it's every year with them, and I understand the knee is bad, and it, they're saying it's a torn meniscus, but at some point, we got to wonder, damn, is he ever going to play? Like, he might need to be a medical retirement at this stage. And it's crazy because, like, after game one, I, like, my fear with the Clippers was they have a dude who in a series can be better than KD. <coughs> and he showed that at times and then was just done after game two. Um, but that game, uh, like not having him did lead to what we would call a Westbrook resurgence. It didn't lead to wins, but it led to big numbers by Russ. Um, Knicks and no, no, no. Let's do Boston and Brooklyn first. That I'm sorry. Let's do Boston and Atlanta first, because, I know the Celtics got to be kicking themselves for playing with their food. Joel Embiid is not playing game one. As I'm recording, game one of Sixers Celtics is happening. And Joel Embiid is not playing. So the Sixers swept the Nets. They they did their job. They got them out of there. The Celtics <coughs> let Trey Young and them boys take them to six. If the Celtics handle the Hawks the way they're supposed to, the Celtics and Sixers series starts way earlier. And if it starts earlier, if Embiid didn't play game one, this could be game two. Because game two for um, Nuggets Suns is actually tonight. So the Hawks, I'm, I'm sorry, not the Hawks, the Celtics and... The Sixers could have been on that same schedule. And if Embiid's not playing tonight, he definitely wouldn't have played a game two days earlier. So they could have had games one and two at home with no Joel Embiid. But instead, they played with their food, let Trey Young and DeJounte Murray and John Collins steal. Even letting them steal one game would have been fine. But letting them steal two, pushing it back, cost them a chance to play games one and two without Joel Embiid. Now, if Embiid misses the whole series, I guess this isn't going to matter. But if Embiid comes back and starts wrecking shop, they are probably going to wish, damn, if we didn't play with our food in Atlanta, we could have started this series two days earlier and played both games in Boston without Joel Embiid. So that is the importance of knocking teams out when you're supposed to. That's what Jimmy and the Heat did with uh, Milwaukee. They ain't give Giannis and them a chance. Giannis and them got game two. After that, they said no mas. Because you don't want to give a good team or you don't want to give a team extra lives. That's how dumb things happen. That's how one of your dudes gets hurt in a game that you guys shouldn't have been playing. 
you should have beat this team in five or you should have swept them. Now here we are in game six and so-and-so rolls an ankle. Take care of business. And Jimmy Butler just... I've been trying to tweet this out, but maybe like being able to talk it out in real words will make sense. Bill Simmons wrote the book of basketball and like the big theme of the book of basketball is what he calls the secret. And essentially the secret is if you're the best player on the team, you should be like, you got to pick and choose your spots. You can't dominate the ball because it's hard for other dudes to get a rhythm. So like Chris Paul was really good at this. Um, Isaiah Thomas is who um, Bill Simmons uses as like the most poignant example for me. He says that Isaiah Thomas would let Joe Dumars and John Sally and Kelly Trapuca and everybody get their joints in the first three quarters. And like he'd pick and choose his spots early in the game like, oh, all right, they're going on a run. Maybe I get a bucket here or maybe I call my own number here. But for the most part, the first three quarters, he might have 14 through three. But you know he's going to get another eight to ten in the fourth because that he's about to lock in. And that was the secret. Jimmy Butler does that, but he does that on a... He does it like... He doesn't look at it game by game almost. He does it for the whole regular season. Like, he's going to do his thing. But the way he turns it up a level, you can tell he's keeping some in reserve and it's probably to empower those other teammates. Yo, it's game 56. It's the second night of a back-to-back and we're in Cleveland. Bam, go crazy. Hero, go crazy. Max Struess, get some on the rim. Um, Caleb Martin, attack. Because when we get to game, once we get past game 82 and it's, 83 and it's postseason time is my time to shine. Jimmy just turns it up another level, but some of it is the way he plays is so empowering. Like you would love to have a superstar like Jimmy on your team. He going to give you shots and he's going to pass it up. But then like when it's like nut crunching time, you know, Jimmy's really about that action. So if I could get like two minutes with Bill Simmons, if I could interview him, I'd be like, is Jimmy Butler the regular season embodiment of the secret from your book of basketball? Because I really think like that's how Jimmy approaches it. As far as the Bucks, <clears throat> I thought Giannis's answer to Eric was like super candid and like real and refreshing. My only real issue with Giannis is the Yo, Bud didn't put me on Jimmy. Nah, Giannis, stop that. Cut that shit out. Because all real niggas, like all the hoopers that let their dick hang, all filth, walk in and say, yo, I got so-and-so. Like, um, Ian uh, Stansfield just sent me the, uh, the memory from when Kawhi, uh, Nick Nurse was like, yeah, we got to make some adjustments uh, when the when the Bucks had the Raptors down 2-0 and Kawhi looked around the room and was like, the adjustment is I got Giannis and that's that. Like, but Giannis will constantly go to, oh, Bud didn't put me there. One, Bud, what's up? He should have been there. But two, Giannis, like at some point as the alpha male, 
one of the top three players in the league, you should just be saying, yo, we're the higher seed and one dude's not killing me. I'm not letting Jimmy Butler single-handedly get me out of here. Jimmy Butler had damn near 100 points in two games. He had something like 96 points in two games. And at no point, Giannis was like, I should probably try and stop this motherfucker. Man, nah, I can't roll with that. Like, Giannis stands, let me know if I'm wrong, but I can't roll. Oh, man, like, just, it, I can't. I'm sorry, bro. I, I just can't. Um, We talked about the Nets in Philly. Like, there was nothing super exciting about that series. I guess game three, the Nets looked like they might steal one for a minute. And then national uh, national TV Tyrese Maxey showed up, and he nixed all that stupid stuff. Um, and then the Knicks four one on Cleveland. Damn, B. Like it. <clears throat> that was Jalen Brunson. Me and Yosh were talking about this on Sunday. Like in the last. Like, since 2000, is Jalen already on Mount Nickmore? Is he one of the best or most important Knicks since the year 2000 already? Because, man, I think he is. I would love for you guys to hit me with your Mount Rushmore of Knicks since the turn of uh, the century. Maybe I'm wrong, but damn, I think Jalen is in the mix. What else we got? What else we got? Now we rolling. We're rolling. Oh. Uh, Aunt Marie, I know you don't like when I curse. I'm going to need you to cover your ears. Because I got some words for Phil Jackson. And they're not going to be nice. I'm going to need Phil Jackson. The Zen master. The, the, the triangle offense. The hippie. Mr. Woodstock. I'm going to need you to shut the fuck up. I'm going to need you to silencio por favor, my guy. This is the second time, and there's more instances, but this is I can think of these two right off the top of my head. This is the second time Phil Jackson, who has made his money and his life and has made millions in the business of basketball on the backs of black athletes, has said some real slimy shit, and I'm not rolling. A few years ago, he did in like 2013, he hit, um, he called LeBron's business partners his posse. Come on, miss me with that coded language. I know what that shit means, and so do you. You wouldn't call Steve Nash's uh, business partners his posse. Like, fuck out of here. And then... Oh, I haven't watched really since the bubble because they were put in uh, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives paid every fucking bill you ever had. Fuck out of here, Phil Jackson. You made your money on the back of Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Shaquille O'Neal, and Kobe Bryant. You know what all those dudes have in common? They are black men. So to you, black lives should matter. Fuck out of here, Phil Jackson. Sorry, Aunt Marie. Um, oh, I, I skipped Minnesota Denver real quick because one, Anthony Edwards is going to be a star Two, 
Cat is the biggest disappointment in the league to me. Like, he he just doesn't have... I mean, I guess it's fitting that his name is Cat because he has no fucking dog in him. He has all the tools, skills, and abilities to be a monster. And he just doesn't bring it consistently. Oh, man. The Anthony Edwards thing with the chair and the security guards is so corny. He did not throw that chair at you guys. Like, oh, that is sucker shit 101. I hope Ant beats the case. And honestly, I hope he sues for, like, defamation of character. Because we all saw the video. And that was corny. Second of all, um, <clears throat> so I was watching the NFL draft. And I was trying to work this out, and I can't quite get it. So I'm going to give it to you guys, and maybe you guys can help me figure it out. How can we make NBA trades like NFL trades? And I say that in the instance of there are, like, picks and conditions tied to snap count and team success in NFL trades. Oh, if he plays... um, 70% of the offensive snaps, we get an additional um, pick (coughs) or additional money compensation. I wish we could do that in the NBA, but I don't know how because in the NFL, everybody's trying to play. So, like, if a dude can go, he goes. In the NBA, there's so many games that they do sit dudes. Like, I wonder what we could do to incentivize playing more or like could we add that to trades like yo if this dude plays see what the problem i ran into was if i said yo if son plays 70 percent of the games for you we should get compensation because that's how it works in the nfl but the nba sits dudes so much that they're going to get to that compensation number and they might just sit dude to make sure that they don't have to give up another asset. So it would almost have to work the reverse in the NBA. Like, yo, if I don't know how it would work actually, like, yo, if he plays 85% of the games, if he doesn't play 85% of the games for us, you need to send us compensation but then you run into the same problem with yo just sit him before he gets to that number so maybe this is just a bad idea and i rambled for three minutes like maybe there's no way to work this out if so i apologize for rambling because as i'm saying it out loud i'm still struggling and it's not killing um let's talk about some of these second round matchups let's start with sun's nuggets because they've already actually played a game So watching the game, it felt like the Suns can definitely compete, but it felt like they were in one of those games where you just can't get over the hump. They'd get it to 11, they'd get it to 10, and then they'd get some sort of bad break that almost made it feel like it wasn't their night. Um, At one point, uh, one play I remember in in particular, they cut it to 11, I want to say. Somebody dimes up Torrey Craig. He misses the layup. Next possession, Joker hits a three. So instead of it being a nine-point game, 
it's a 14 point game, but like, it felt like that was kind of going on all night in Phoenix. Um, also they don't shoot enough threes. Um, I put out a quick video today that just like broke down what they're going to need to do because Denver's continuity on top of their depth is a real issue. Denver played six players over 20 minutes. All six of them scored in double figures. Um, some had 10. Jamal Murray had 34. Uh, Joker and Aaron Gordon were both in the 20s. Like that, that's great depth. And that's like, that's the whole team contributing. Where in Phoenix, it just feels like it's D book and Durant. Chris Paul is going to need to be somewhere between 18 and 22 points for for them to win. Like, he had like 11 and 6 or 11 and 5. That's not going to get it done. It's just not going to be able to beat this Denver team, especially because the Suns aren't using the three ball as the equalizer. They didn't shoot a lot versus um, the Clippers, and that's probably partially how the Clippers were able to stay in that series, even though they had like such a stark lack of talent compared to the Suns, they were able to stay in it because three is more than two. Here's quick math. You make three threes, that's nine points. You make three twos, that's six points. You're down three on the same amount of shots. And it only gets worse. The Nuggets outscored the Suns by 27 points from the three-point line. The Suns shot 14 less threes and the Nuggets made nine more threes and shot a better percentage. And on top of that, the threes aren't even coming from Book and Durant, really. Durant shot three. Book might have shot one. CP3 shot a couple. But, like, most of the threes, well, not most of them. They only shot, like, they might have shot 17, if that. I'm about to look. But I don't even think they shot that many threes, honestly. Let's see. On how many did they shoot? I know that they... The Suns shot 23 threes. But, like, let, let's get a breakdown of who shot them, and you tell me if this is going to get it done. Durant shot three. Book shot one. CP3 shot five. That that That's probably okay. I need it. But that means he's doing a lot of catch-and-shoot stuff, so that's not using him optimally. Put him in pick-and-rolls. Get him involved. But he shot five, and then Kogi shot one. Torrey Craig shot two. Campaign shot two in garbage time. I remember campaigns two in garbage time. So out of, so they really only shot 21, honestly, because campaign made one in garbage time and then shot another one. But it was a 15 point game at that point. <coughs> you can't, you can't have them be deeper than you and not use the three ball as an equalizer. They, they gotta, they, and get nothing from Chris Paul. Like, Phoenix is in for a long-ass series and a long-ass summer if they don't make some adjustments. Oh, man. Lakers, Warriors, LeBron and Steph in the second round. We don't deserve this. We we truly do not deserve this. Like, these, are, this is LeBron James and Steph Curry in the second round. The two most influential basketball players the two people that have had the biggest impact on the game of basketball since 2000. That long pause was to give you a chance to get ready to fix your face, to, to bring somebody else up 
And then here's another long pause. And I want you to just imagine me shutting it down. Okay, that's me. In that blank spot, I shut down your little thought where you were like, what about so-and-so? No, the two most influential players of the last 20 years are Steph Curry. He changed the way the game is played. And LeBron James, because he's LeBron James, I really shouldn't have to get into that. Add in, you have two of the most versatile and best defenders we have in the league and Anthony Davis and Draymond Green. You have Klay Thompson running around hitting threes. D'Angelo Russell is in this series and he was once a warrior. Actually, D'Angelo Russell and Andrew Wiggins were traded for each other. We're going to get to see Wiggins guard Braun. This is just going to be fun. Like if you love basketball, you should be going crazy for these two Western Conference series. Let's move over to the East. In the East, it's it's a little rock fighty when we talk about Heat Knicks, but that's like a testament to how they used to play in the 90s. Like these are two teams that are going to grind out games and fight. And there's still nice star power. Like you have Jimmy Butler, you have Jalen Brunson, there's Julius Randle and Bam, two Kentucky bigs going at it. I really wish Tyler Hero was in, wasn't hurt, but he's out. But that should be a fun series. Jordan keeps on talking about how he can't wait to see what uh, Tibbs does with Jimmy because not too many coaches should know Jimmy better than Tibbs. It's probably Tibbs and Spo that know Jimmy the best at this point. So this should be, I hope that's a really fun chess matchup. And then once again, we have Celtics and Sixers. A lot of star power. Joel Embiid isn't in the game. So we should be like looking to see Houston Harden. But I don't know that Houston Harden exists anymore. So it is a tad scary out there. But like this is just this has been a really fun, exciting playoffs. I like hope you guys are enjoying it as much as I am. I'm definitely gonna try and get Yosh to do a pod with me in the second round because I like I'm not oblivious to how infectious the energy gets when me and him pod together. I like I, I should have him on more because we really get to the shits together. Um but I appreciate you guys taking time and listening. I'm putting out reels, shorts, and Facebook, Instagram reels, Facebook reels, and Instagram shorts every day, Monday through Friday. I need y'all to like, subscribe, share, send one to a homie every day. Make that part of your daily ritual. You see it pop up and you don't, not only should you share it on your social media, but like you should just have one friend that every day you send them a Rob Shaw reel because I don't know, because that should be fly to me. Like I'd appreciate it. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're back with the second half of the pod, which is Allie and I talking about the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame, as well as what she does for her career, because it was just blank month in April. So we're going to talk about that. All right, welcome to the second half of the show. 
As I told you guys earlier, Allie's going to come on. We're going to talk about the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame, which had a great event that we went to. And at the end of that conversation, we're going to let Allie talk about something that is near and dear to her heart. So make sure you stay tuned for that. That is what they call a tease in the business, kids. Um, so for those that don't know, we went to the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame. We got invited because I actually interviewed Rennie LaRue, who runs the... he He's the CEO. He's the founder. He's the head of the board there. And I interviewed him, and he invited us up, and we had a great time. What did you think of your experience, Allie? I thought it was cool just being a sports person, not even just basketball. You're surrounded by people who literally know so much about their craft, and you can just learn and listen to their stories. And I talked to a lot of D3 players, who, which I played D3, so that was kind of cool. D3 what? Softball. But they were basketball, obviously. No, but just like as a... Well, you brought up D3, so we can start with Leroy Witherspoon was the Division Three National Player of the Year two times. He won two NCAA Division Three championships back-to-back at uh, SUNY Potsdam, and he was a monster. Like, I got a short clip it, and I put that out, but it didn't give his vibes because when we turned off the camera... He really started talking that good shit. Like, yo, I grew up in Utica, New York. Jim Beheim was up there talking about after two years at Potsdam, he told me, yo, why don't you just redshirt a year and then come play for me? And he said what I think a lot of young kids need to hear. I'd rather play. I don't want to sit a year. He no make make no mistake about it. That man believed he could play at the Division One level. And from the stories that were told in that room that night, it sounds very, very true. But he didn't want to sit a year. And I want to have him on the pod so bad because I think kids get so caught up in level chasing. Like looking for the highest level of scholarship. And then it's not, and then as they get better, it turns into all right, it doesn't just it can't just be D1. Now it's gotta be D1, it's got to be power five. Go somewhere where you can play and be appreciated. That man won National Player of the Year in 82 with Ralph Sampson. And in 83, he won it with Michael Jordan. His name is etched on that list with them forever. And he was by far my favorite interview of the night. No, he was real. Like, I liked what he was talking about. I hope you get him on here. No, he's definitely going to come through. Um, the big get for me, obviously, was Jim Beheim. That was super duper fly. He was right at our table he, he for did a lot sit, of the night. He, he did sit at our table, but I got him before I knew he was at our table. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to keep it a buck with y'all. Bitched right on up when I got to. <laughs> um, m- 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 Mr. Beheim, I said it in such a meek, feeble voice. That like he was like texting in his phone and he almost didn't even look up because like the voice I used to speak to him was so timid. Like he, he looked up and was like, oh, you, you talking to me? Then I was like, hey, I have a podcast. Um, If I could just get a few seconds. When I tell you Jim Beheim gave me the, uh, I don't want you to tell a bad <laughs> story about me on your little podcast, so I'll do it. He basically said, all right, yeah, yeah I got a few seconds. <clears throat> 
but it was super cool. I was really grateful. I learned some cool stuff with him. So with the other interviews um, I did, like it wasn't COVID six feet apart, but like we gave each other a little bit of space. And like, that's my first time doing stand-up interviews like that. I assume Jim Beheim is so used to doing them in the dome with 30,000 people screaming that he needs to be shoulder to shoulder with the reporter just in order to hear them. So that was something I immediately noticed. And actually, if you look at the video where I'm talking with uh, Leroy Witherspoon, you can like see space between us and then watch what it looks like with me and Beheim. We're shoulder to shoulder. That is because he, that was his level of professionalism. I bet you he didn't even think about it. He just instinctively it's did like it. like second nature to him. Um, I also learned that Jim Beheim is allergic to fish. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Um, the food was elegantly prepared. It looked good. It tasted like eh. white people need it. Yeah, yeah, but not me. Not my type of white people. It, it, it wasn't very seasoned. <laughs> But it was still a really good experience. It didn't take away from the event. You're not going to be like, oh, that event sucked because the food. Like, if you go to a bad wedding and the food's bad, like, you're like, oh, trash. For those that don't know, Allie was my camera woman for everything. And we went big. We brought the DSLR. We brought, um, we brought the small camcorder, which we didn't use a ton. But we also, um, I got some lavalier mics a long time ago, like as a graduation present to myself. Oh, do I love those suckers. Them little bitches get the job done. I liked them. I played around with them. No, no, those were super dope. They were fun. John Wallace was there. Um, AC Green. I tried to get AC Green. I, I took too long with AC Green, though. Like, I was like, hey... Mr. Green, it was AC Green and Spencer Haywood. I should have got both of them, but I just took too long. Like, cause they said they would do it, but I had waited so long that the actual event was starting and people were starting to talk. Actually, I even waited a little long for Bayheim because part of the reason he probably goes shoulder to shoulder with me is because they are doing the introductions. And if you listen mm -hmm. hard, you can hear it in the background. So I waited a little too long. Did you tell him about the guy that, uh, Helped you get people and kept bringing people over to you? Oh, so there was a gentleman at my table and we were setting up the cameras and just, just, just a friendly. nice introduced himself. His name, because I want to get his name. His name is uh, Richard Johns, I want to say. I know his last name is Johns. I wrote him a nice email saying thank you for everything. I have his business card. I'd assume, I'd hope that at some point we are going to get to do something together he was he's Clutch. the one who got me mr witherspoon um he got me a couple other people he was he just was networking you he was working the room for me and i just really appreciated that um he's a suny uh pot stand graduate as well um what else happened what did you like about the night um, I liked listening to the speeches. There were some that were just like, all right, you're talking a lot. But there were some that were really like, had great stories. I liked the female. I don't remember her name. Sheila Dixon. She Sheila was Dixon dope. smoked her she speech. She was dope. I liked her. I liked that she was the only woman there. Like, I don't know if they only induct one woman a year. They try and but induct I really at liked... least one woman a year. Yeah, I liked hers. Um, I thought John Wallace did a really good yeah. job. Mm-hmm. 
um, Terrell Harris, Tobias Harris's father, was the big um, honoree of the night. Like, they're all getting inducted, but the William Kramer Award is the... I'm sorry, the Barry Kramer Award is the big standout award of the night, and that was for Terrell Harris, Tobias Harris's dad. Um, Tobias Harris was on the scene. <laughs> and what happened? Hey, Tobias, I got a small podcast I'm trying to grow. Do you want to just give me like a quick 30 seconds on your pops? Son looked me cold in my face and was like, nah, I ain't really trying to do no interviews. And I just had to respect that because like the the way he said it, I do feel like if I would have pressed him, I could have got him. But I don't want to, if you want to do it, do it. But like, don't feel pressured or obligated like I almost told Jim Beheim no like hey it's cool but he was willing to do it but like once again I felt Beheim's body language like oh shit he just wanted to be regular for the night and then uh and like to to that point uh Beheim did sit with us at our table but after he introduced the two Syracuse players um that were going into the hall he got up out of there he was gone but Tobias Harris just was like Nah, I'm not really trying to do no interviews. And that was that. And I came back to Allie and Allie was like, let me go talk to him. <laughs> no. Because I don't want him doing an interview off the strength of thinking he's going to sleep with my girl. No. He's extra cool on that. I'm I just good. thought I could put a little sauce on it for you. Yeah, that sauce is called breastesis. It's not. <laughs> yeah. So, like, he was... His dad's speech, like, this could be controversial, but it was underwhelming for me i wanted more what did you it was almost like he was too big and like it was just a very quick brief speech like there were some that had like all right you're gonna make fun of me if i get this analogy like the meat and potatoes in it there were some good stories it was like thick i thought he had good stories he talked about uh playing junior college ball and i felt like it was so short though like it felt like it was very brief well, no, well, that's true. Uh, Rennie didn't have to go up there and tell yeah, no. Terrell to come off. There he were only a had to do that bit. too. That uh, he had to do one Sheila coach Dixon and that girl. And that, but she, Sheila was smoking hers. She could have stayed up there all night. I would she to was her. talking. She talked about um, how basketball was only an avenue for education for her as a woman. Yeah, and she's probably in her late thirties, right? Probably. It's not too far removed from when it was only an avenue towards education. Like for the guys in that room that were the same age, maybe the NBA wasn't plausible, like wasn't something that they did, but it was an avenue for them. Like John Wallace played in the NBA. Um, Roosevelt Bowie, the other Syracuse gentleman who went in, who was actually our first interview. He was our first interview of the night. I haven't put that one out yet. He's so tall, we cut off the top of his head I in the really video. tried hard to get it. Well, I would have been like talking to it. We didn't have enough space. Yeah. We needed to back the cameras I out. I tilted it back too, but it wasn't enough. <clears throat> no, but he was great. Overall, it was a really fun experience. Allie made a cool um, TikTok slash reel about it. Like we're, we're walking in with the camera and all that. It was, it was a special event. I mm-hmm. thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, Allie said she had ideas for if we went back next year, how to do things differently. We haven't talked about these in real life, so I'm going to let her spew them on the pod. 
Well, I feel like now we know the setup. Now we know where to set up your camera. I think you go in with a plan of like, all right, I know who's here and I know who I want to get because I felt like we were overwhelmed with all the people coming in that we were just like, all right, let's try and grab them. Let's try and grab them that like next time either we're going to go grab like a bunch of people's families and try and get their them to talk on the inductees or you go for like the bigger names that are getting inducted. And if you get a no, you get a no. Then you move on to the next one. But you will be set up with the cameras. We'll be ready to go with what you need. Well, I think next year we'd like to get there a little bit earlier. And right? I think that I would also clip some more on my phone so that I could take different, not angles, but I feel like I could do different things with your content than you could post the interviews, but I could make like, you know how I did a mashup Behind of the, the day. Yeah. Things. Um, other things I learned the, that weren't like basketball related, just like running an event. Mm-hmm. I thought... Um, Everything was meticulously timed out, but I thought the order was so important. Oh, it was so smart. It was so smart. Like the order of the inductees. Like I'd assume the two, John Wallace and uh, Roosevelt Bowie, I assume they needed to go relatively early because Jim Beheim is probably the biggest name in the building. Probably. You don't think Tobias's dad was? Tobias's dad is the biggest honoree. But you don't I think say, his name was bigger? Tobias Harris than Jim Beheim? No. Okay. No, Jim Beheim is the biggest dude. And that's probably why okay. they did those Syracuse guys early because he was like, of course I'll come do this, but I want to be able to get the fuck out of there. You know who? what I also put together when we were there? The woman who emceed it mm-hmm. works for Yes Network. Does so she? I recognized her voice. Couldn't put a Nancy something. Okay, they did talk about because she... Um, if Rennie wasn't introducing people and they weren't getting like a special she introduction, the Yankee stuff. she did the rest. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say or we should tell them about it? I just thought it was a really good event. Like he runs, what does he do? The hockey? He does. The baseball? Yeah, he does baseball, basketball, hockey, and football maybe? I didn't hear football. No, 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 it's three. He does... He does three. He does basketball, baseball, basketball, and hockey. Yeah. So he devotes um, about four months to each one, and that's mm-hmm. his year. Yeah, that's pretty cool. He was very personable. He came up to pretty much everyone. He he ran a good show. All right. It is May 1st. Once again, I am blaming my lack of a voice on this. Last month was April, and April is Occupational Therapist Month, and that is what Allie does um, when she's not my camera woman slash assistant. <laughs> so for those that don't know, can you tell them what occupational therapy is? Yeah. So just vaguely, occupational therapy is a rehabilitation process that uses a medical model, holistic model, and you combine all of that to rehab a person of pretty much any age. We work with infants all the way up to elderly people, and we focus on certain parts of their life to get them back into independence it's like functionality and all the things that people enjoy we work on getting them back to full health um we're really different than pts pts are more of like the i don't know how to say this um it's much more of like the if you think about pts it's like the sports you're rehabbing an acl like things like that where we're definitely a different um perspective and we're just a different type of therapist no shade so 
what is an activity you might do with a child? Well, okay, what? Let's start with children. You do early intervention. Uh-huh. Um, what classifies a child that they might need um, early intervention OT services? So for kids, it's so much different than elderly or adults. And I work with kids, so kids is a lot more easier to talk about. Um, so for EI, any sort of delay in fine motor skills, um, such as, such as not picking up a utensil, not being able to cross midline, not being able to, um, motor plan to get from point A to point B. You guys have used motor plan. Like (laughs) there's a bunch of OTs in our, at our job and they, I don't know if everybody knows what motor planning is. I, you guys say it so we much. We talk in such a lingo that it's so to hard to step out of it. Because like when I'm like sitting in the room with you guys, you guys talk about it so much. Like, And you say it so casually. I was like, oh, I'll look this up because I don't want to ask the room because it feels dumb to ask the room. So I'll ask for the listeners, what is motor planning? So there's two examples I can give you. Say you show someone a yoga pose, being able to get in that yoga pose would be a motor plan. Like if you can't, if you're trying to go into down dog, like say you can't go right down into that position, that's a motor planning difficulty. You see that in like older kids or adults. Um, another example is if you're trying to get from point A to point B and there's obstacles in your way, can you maneuver them? Can you walk over them? Are you aware of them? Things like that. Okay. Um, so a good one is we have smaller children and like they ride tricycles in the hallway. And if like there are people in the hallway, the kids that can really motor plan will drive right up to you and swerve out the way. And that is like what my mind immediately goes to when I think of motor planning now that I know what it is. Mm -hmm. So like in EI, a lot of my kids are on for feeding or on for sensory needs. Like a big part of what I do is sensory, like developing their sensory systems to regulate themselves. So like we can regulate ourselves quite easily because we've learned that our systems are all neurotypical, but some kids have a difficult time and need a little bit more assistance. And that's where we come in. There's a lot of different things you do, and it's really cool. So that is our little quick segment on the basketball, the New York State Basketball Hall of Fame, as well as OT. Allie, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. This has been the Shaw's Law Podcast. And like that, we out. <laughs>